Hey everyone, it's uh, Dave Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play podcast, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. And I'm joined once again with, uh, by Mike Finger from exitoasis.com. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm excellent, David. Uh, thrilled to be here again and having a conversation. So, That's, Well, I'm glad to have you because uh, I'm on your email list, and so I get your emails regularly with your new blog posts. And one of them came across my screen uh, a couple weeks ago, um, and it was—I think it was a reprint that you had put in from some some a different author, uh, Rod Burker uh, from Burker Valuation Advisors. He was talking about um, the the big question about this silver tsunami, and then for those of you who don't know, that refers to the fact that a lot of businesses are owned by baby boomers, and these people are all uh, getting to retirement age in the same kind of a uh, couple of decades. And so there should be a whole bunch of businesses coming up for sale. And in Rod's article, he talked about why this may not actually uh, create the avalanche that people are expecting. Uh, and then I just thought I would reach out to you and just ask you, because you've been around for about a year now doing Exit Oasis, um, is, are all the people contacting you baby boomers? Right. They're supposed to be, right? There's this, uh, I can't think of anything in the sell a business industry that has been more touted over the last five, 10 years even than this impending doom of sellers. Um, and one of the reasons I, I liked uh, his article was that uh, it brought a level of pragmatism to the question. Uh, and to answer your question, no. Right. I, I'm I'm getting consistent outreach from owners that are uh, interested in exploring the, a sale, want to change their business to make it sellable, but they don't have that uh, that characteristic necessarily. Some are right. But uh, it seems that uh, that decision is substantially motivated by personal circumstances mm. way more than some macro demographic change, right? Well, I read the article. It must be time for me to sell. I, I, I'm not seeing that. I don't know about you for the people that contact you. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's the same. I, I get people, I get very few people in their twenties and thirties, just, you know, at, at that point in your life, maybe you're getting into business or something like this. Um, but I would say that starting at about 40 years of age up to 70, it's just kind of even. It's like equal representation across those three decades of people's lives. And it seems, you know, the top motivators always seem to be the same ones as they were back when I had my Sunbelt office. It's burnout and fatigue, divorce, poor health, need to relocate, and retirement's in there for a few of those people, but not, not necessarily the oldest ones. You know, some, some of the people in their 70s that are looking to sell, it's because one of those other four reasons, not necessarily they've suddenly decided to retire. They, they get this personal change in their life that pushes them towards needing to sell because they are not able to run the business anymore and haven't done what they need to to step back and have somebody else do it. And, you know, when these personal circumstances arrive, usually something has to happen quickly which doesn't leave time for radically changing the business to allow it to be run by somebody else, which I, which is what you focus on a lot in your work, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by, by what you said there because 
I think the demographic math is compelling, right? I mean, if we look at the aging of the boomers, if we look at the impact on that, but I, I mean, we, we've seen the predictions in other areas, right? There's the prediction that uh, the stock market was supposed to crash because all of these boomers were going to be compelled to start to liquidate portions of their retirement savings mm-hmm. or their portfolios. or And so you... I've seen, who knows how many articles I've seen about that compelling demographic math. But as you pointed out, this is an intimate, personal decision that someone's making. And uh, it really, I I mean, the, 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 the outside environment doesn't matter as much as those simple questions like, is there someone else here that can run the business? Is, mm-hmm. you know, is there someone interested in buying the business? Those, uh, those what seem to be simple mechanical elements, um, 72 becomes 73 or four or five because I don't have those elements lined up. And so um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by, I still remain intrigued by the, the math of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't seen it, and, and to you know, to his his points in the article, it's um, where is it? Where is it, David? Well, I I think I think we shouldn't be talking about a tsunami. I think we should be talking about an iceberg because there's a big difference between the visible elements of the marketplace and what you can't see, right? Yeah. Just yeah. like the iceberg, you know, the big part of it's under the water, right? And so I know that. Um, for me, I'm just thinking about the last couple of people I've sp- spoken to about selling. Um, the biggest resistance that I always run into is when I work with someone and show them what their business is worth and they always say the same kind of thing. Well, if I just stayed around for two or three years, I'd kind of have that money, right? right. So why would I sell? Which is totally valid. Like if, if your focus is simply on maximizing personal wealth, you would never sell a good business. You would just stay there until you died, right? And so that's where the personal change has to occur to get somebody to say, I can't do it anymore. But the other thing that's happening is that, you know, there's, I think as people hear the message about the impending transfer or sale of all these businesses, maybe what we're not seeing is that there are people who are realizing that their business is quite small or they would have difficulty in selling and they're not entering the market. So they're making a plan to wind up or close down or they're making a decision to develop their own buyers. And uh, I worked with someone actually just a few weeks ago who's gone down that path where he's, he's brought one of his employees up to become a manager and he's created a long-term plan between the, the two people for the manager to slowly purchase equity up to a certain level, then get a loan to buy him out. Sure. And, and the reason why he's doing it that way is because he's, he's been doing some reading and he's been watching you know, stuff online. And, and what he knows is that it'll be easier for the manager to get a loan once he has been running the business. And he knows that in his business category, it's very difficult for somebody to come up and write a check. So I think he's made a wise decision, right? In, in trying to create that scenario, but that business will never be listed on biz by sell. Sure. Right. And so, and so that's what I mean by the visible versus the invisible market is maybe the tsunami is actually occurring, but we just can't see it. Well, I I hope so. Right. I I really do. Because, uh, 
in particular, when I look at some of the more rural areas uh, around where I live and, and, and work, um, I get concerned for the economic impact uh, because I see a large number of boomer owners in businesses that um, don't create a dynamic enough argument for someone to pick up and move from the local metro area to repopulate this rural business, right? Uh, they're large employers, they're substantial. I mean, we both know that a good business will draw buyers really wherever it is, right? I mean, if it's a compelling, profitable, um, exciting, interesting business, there's people that'll say, I'll, I'll pick up and move. Um, I wonder about the number of businesses that I see out there like that, boomer, uh, boomer owned, but there's not a buyer pool there to do that step in that you've talked about. Now, those that are, are wise enough and, and, and uh, forward thinking enough to make those arrangements, fabulous. But uh, I don't know, I'm not, uh, I, I guess I'm more inclined that people are like I was when I was, was thinking about selling my business, which is, I don't think about it, I don't think about it, I don't think about it, it's all I think about, right? There's that point in time where I cross that line and that's when I realized, holy buckets, I am so far behind. Uh, I've got a huge amount of catch up to do. Uh, for me, I wasn't 73 counting on the sale of that business for my retirement. Uh, you know, it's funny because you mentioned, you mentioned rural because a couple of weeks ago, I'm writing a new book and uh, this fellow, Kevin, uh, who lives in one of the prairie states, Nebraska, I'm thinking, uh, has helped me with some input. Sure. And, and um, he was talking about the same thing, about rural businesses that are value adders. So we're not just talking about farmers or, or, or farms. We're talking about yep. actual production of something or other, but it's located rurally. And some of the things he was saying, he, he was kind of positioning it as a unique challenge to his area. As soon as he started to explain it, I was like, no, no, no we have that here too. And I think we have it everywhere outside of the major centers, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I consistently see in these places is businesses that have been around for a very long time. You know, at one point, North Americans were mostly rural, right? And just, you know, smaller portion was city dwellers. And so you had this capital investment around where I live. Is we see this in, in forestry and, and wood, you know, like big mills and things like this. And the people who own them maybe are second or third generation. And there's, you know, good earnings for them. They never bore the burden of the entire capital investment it was built up over several generations. Right. And then if they were to turn around and try to sell that, you know, even though they're earning a good living, if I were to borrow millions upon millions of dollars to buy what they have, just the value of the buildings and machinery, it would never cash flow for me. Yep. And so, you know, I've talked about that before. I, I call it the zombie capital problem. It's, it's capital tied up in things that doesn't earn a return. Right. And, and the free market deals with that it's called changing the price. And what usually ends up happening is the auctioneer sells it for 10 cents on the dollar and now somebody can afford to buy it and earn a rate of return on it, right? Yep. And, you know, the, the owners though don't want to face that. And, and I think this is part of the denial mechanism that you're getting at there where people just say, you know, I don't want to think about it. I'm, I've got a, you know, six figure, I'm earning a quarter million or whatever. The income's good. 
I don't want to worry about this problem. Then boom, doctor says, I have a terrible illness. Yep. And now it's too late. I don't know. I, 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 it's, 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 it's sad. I don't think though that people are getting advice from a finance point of view. I think everyone has an accountant because everyone has to file their taxes, but I don't think people are sitting down looking at the value of what's in their business and looking at their internal rate of return and, and things like that. The conversations that happen in the bigger businesses. I, I think that's true. I, I, I'm reminded of a, a video you did some time back that essentially evaluated a hardware store in a, uh, a, a downtown Main Street type setting. And to the, you know, to the point you made earlier, that, uh, you, you start doing the math on what it costs to buy the building and what the business generates, and there's such a disconnect there. And I, I mean, you hope that that outgoing buyer or, or that outgoing seller might have enough financial benefit from the sale of the real estate if they're actually able to sell the real estate. Um, but again, the, the, it's such a compelling case if you take a step back and look at the macro, right? Uh, every, uh, you know, all these owners are getting older and all those things. But if you, if you start to drill down to the individual, I, I see solid businesses, what, what I would categorize as solid small businesses in that type of setting that you're talking about. And I just look around and I think, where is the buyer? Mm -hmm. You know, where is that uh, Gen X millennial that's going to step in? Now, the exciting thing about that for me is that in many cases, that buyer can bring a skill set or perspective to that, um, that business that maybe operates a little bit more um, historically in terms of approach and operations. Uh, so there's some there's an interesting dynamic there that could be created. Hey, let's start selling online. Hey, let's you know some of those things. Um, I don't see it happen a lot though. And uh, you know you wonder again. It doesn't take it. You take a small town like that. It doesn't take many small businesses closing before the in, impact is dynamic. Yeah, and. You know, I think that has people in certain political spheres afraid um, in, in, in government, people in economic development. They see this problem and they're worried that they may have this impending unemployment issue because what happens with the small businesses will eventually affect the people that work there and in the circles around them and around them and around them. And, you know, in that article, getting back to what, uh, what Rod Burkett had written, uh, he talked about a few of these things because, uh, you know, we're this the silver tsunami is a macro thing. He also talked about macro things, and in particular, he talked about Generation X, who uh, is me. Uh, well, I'm kind of the beginning of of Gen X, and or maybe it's the end. Anyway, we were no, sorry, I'm at the very tail end of Gen X. I'm in Gen Y, I guess they call it. Uh, but the Gen Xers, people who are just a little bit older than me, they were saddled with big student debts and they got out of university and the boomers were still in all those jobs. And so they were, you know, working at lower income jobs for the longest time. And now they're buying homes at the top of the real estate market and they're paying over inflated prices and they have all of this debt. And the millennials are even worse off with student debt. So if we look at it from a macro point of view, the next generation of buyers is going to have a hard time assembling those down payments, putting the money together. 
Uh, that's very true. My pushback on that would be if the business operates in a way that makes it sellable, those things are easy to overcome, right? If I can cash flow the purchase of your business based on what your business generates, it's a lot easier to find a banker that's going to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. the, the, the terror is when you combine those traits you discussed with that business owner that's pulling down $30,000 a year and has for the last 15 years because they bought their building when, uh, you know, and their payment was 300 bucks a month, right? I mean, yeah. the, the, the math just, it, okay, it worked for a small period of time, but everything's changing, right? Now you do that in a rural environment where retail is dying because Amazon's delivering to my doorstep. And what's left, right? I mean, you've got the service business, you've got the manufacturing in this area. Again, those can be compelling businesses if that seller brings intent to the table. If that seller brings that decision to say, I'm going to make sure my business operates in a way that someone might be able to buy it. Not what we both, I'm assuming, see most owners do, which is, I'm assuming a sale is the natural end step of this process. Mm. It's just not. Yeah. And, and of course, then that ties into having a realistic expectation and asking price because it, all of this stuff circulates around the asking price. Um, it just helped a family in Wisconsin sell a business and I gave an estimation of what I thought it was worth and they, they put it on the market for a few thousand less, okay. which is quite the opposite of what I usually see. I usually yeah. <laughs> put it up 15 or 20% like to give themselves wiggle room, right? These guys put it down for a few thousand less because they said, we've made the decision. It's time to go. Yep. And I met them in September and they had pretty much agreed on an offer by about Christmas time. And then they were wrapping things up with financing in January and the keys were handed over in March, I think. So it's a great example of people who, when the, when the time came, they made the decision, they realized now it's about speed. Yep. Not let's ask twice as much and we can always lower the price later. Right. Because as you and I know, that, that just doesn't work. Right, right. And how refreshing and how exciting for them to approach this process realistically, to mm. approach this process and say, what does the market usually do with something like this? Um, that's, that's great. I mean, that, those are so rewarding. Mm. Um, and I'm sure for you as well, when you get to see that. Now, again, could they have, could they have done it differently and, and brought in 10 grand more, maybe, maybe that, that, that risk reward, but for every one of those, there's 10 that you go through the biz buy sell listing and you do the math on the asking price versus cash flow, And you think, what in the world are they thinking? How, how could this possibly happen? And again, it's one thing if I'm 40 year old, 40 years old, and I'd like to uh, explore the sale of my business. But when I'm 74 and that's the number I need to buy the hotel or to buy the uh, retirement home in Florida, uh, that's tough. That is, uh, that's tough. You know, you had a, a case study on your blog a little while ago, a woman who had sold her business. And I remember the quote that you had blown up was the morning after was the happiest day of her life uh, or something to that effect. Yep. Give us a little, a little snippet about 
the type of preparation that she had to go through and the length of time it took to get her to the place where she was able to make that transaction happen. Oh yeah. That was a, uh, what a fun story to be part of. That was, that was, a, that was the dream uh, client for me, David, because this was a really bright, energetic, passionate, small business owner uh, that, once she understood what needed to happen, just started to make things happen, right? We, we know those small business owners. We deal with them all the time. Um, that There was a case where we worked together for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started the process, uh, you know, identifying a couple key barriers uh, that were going to uh, make selling incredibly difficult. One, one, one simple example, right? If, if I use my line of credit um, aggressively, that's, you know, there's people that run their business that, that way. And it, sometimes that's the right move. Sometimes it's the wrong move. But when it comes to the sale, uh, it, if I have to bring cash to the table to pay off the line of credit in order to close my deal, a deal is pretty unlikely. And so that, you know, that's an example of where we, we sat down and said, okay, you know, here's our standard uh, practice with dealing with line of credit. Let's see how we change it. She looked at that and said, piece of cake, started managing differently. And uh, it's an issue that disappeared about 12 months down the line, right? So we, we identified that, that low-hanging fruit, those items that tend to be the key factors. Uh, we would talk about them. She would, uh, she would bear down and I, you know, I, I'd have to play catch up because she just down that road. Uh, and then, yeah, you, you mentioned the article. I tried to capture that smile on her face when we got together after the sale of her business. And it was, uh, it reminded me of my own circumstance, which is just this miraculous life do over where you're, this is fabulous. So it was, uh, it was exciting to be a part of, uh, fun to be a part of, um, simple elements that we targeted and that she took down one after the other. And her, and her motivation was simply that she was starting to get burned out by this endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was so interesting because up until she signed the purchase agreement, I don't know if she was sure she was going to sell. And that's what was so interesting for me is what she decided in our first meeting was to, uh, create a business that she could sell that that's the decision she made she said i don't know if i'm ready to sell but i'm ready to be ready to sell Mm -hmm. right so uh and that like i said that took us about 18 months and it put her in the driver's seat to be able to make whatever decision that she wanted to which ultimately was to sell the business when a a rather unique and great opportunity for everyone involved came along so uh, that intention, I, I'm convinced that's it. That is the silver bullet. That is the magic key. Uh, it's about the owner finding the intention not to sell, but to create a business that they can sell when and if they're ready. Uh, yeah. And you know, back to what we're talking about with the demographics. If I'm 70, how do I not? How how, how does that not occur to me? How is that? And w- what, what I see is it's not a lack of knowledge. It's not that they don't want to do that. Um, it's a misunderstanding that they have to do it in the first place. Um, because I'm a firm believer that most of us as owners are operating our businesses, assuming that we can exit when we choose to. And that's just not the case. So 
do you think it's ignorance or do you think it's some other facet of human nature? You know, we all know that we shouldn't eat, you know, too many sweets and we should exercise and we shouldn't do, smoke cigarettes and all this kind of thing. We shouldn't drink too much. And yet people do do it. Yep. Right? And, and you can ask someone who has a bad lifestyle habit, you know, do you, are you aware this is bad for you? And they'll say, yeah, absolutely. I'm aware this is bad for me and I shouldn't do it. Yet they do. Right. And, and so do you think it's one of those things where people are aware that they need to work on their business and fix things up and then they just are lazy or don't want to do it or they just prioritize other things? I think it's a function of the workload that the small business owner is under that we don't get a chance to pay attention to something until we have to pay attention to it. And there is no advocate for this topic, right? There is nobody on my management team. There's no one but me that's going to advocate for a successful exit. But I think there's, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that in that I get subtle messages that reinforce the idea that I can sell my business. Every time the broker calls me and says, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about selling your business. And I say, well, I'm not ready to sell my business. I'm too. Every time I hang up that phone, how do I not assume that they're calling me because I have a sellable business, right? Why would they waste their time calling me? Why would, if my business isn't sellable, why in the world would they waste, waste their time calling me? We both know that you can't tell from the outside, right? That the broker's got to make that call, got to learn about the business, and that a high percentages of those businesses, those prospects, the broker's going to go, I can't help you sell unless you do X, Y, and Z, you know, fix that over the next two years and give me a call. But we don't take those calls as owners. We, we brush them off, but we keep getting that message. I have a sellable business. I have a sellable business. And I, you combine that with the fact that I don't have time to deal with the topic until it's the only topic on my desk because I want to yeah. leave. I think it's a, it's a unintentional, but a fairly insidious a combination of, of variables there, right? I mean, because why would I engage this topic? Uh, because I'm, man, I'm doing it. I'm running the business right now. I don't need to think about that. And as you pointed out, and we've both experienced, uh-oh, the doctor said, uh-oh, I found this new opportunity. Uh-oh, now I'm ready to finally take that broker's call. And again, that was my life experience. Okay, I'm taking the call. I'm ready to sell what do you mean I'm unsellable? Right. I mean, it's just this. Well, let me, let, let me ask you about intention in your own, in your own circumstance, because you had, it was an engineering firm, correct? Uh, we did uh, business management and consulting. So okay. uh, a professional services firm. Yeah. Professional services. So when you were running that business, did, did you have like a five, 10 year goal of where your life was going to be and where your business was going to be? Or were you, as it got bigger and more complex, were you drawn down lower, like to the, the firefighting level? Because, you know, just a few minutes ago when you were talking about business owners being so busy that they don't have time for this until they're forced to do it, the expression that came to my mind was with the management by firefighting or, you know, something along those lines where you're so busy, all you're doing is you're, you're, you're looking for the places where the flames are popping up and you're just managing each one of those without that overarching view to the future. Do you think that's part of this is that they, they, they're not working with a, a long-term set of goals and ambitions? 
Yes, is the only right answer to that question. Um, and it, it's like you've made a conscious decision to shame me because that was my reality, right? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, 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 oper I ran my business that way for 10 years. And I ran it successfully that way. We grew leaps and bounds. I had 50 employees. I, I mean, we were doing, running, just... Um, it is, uh, it's a different way to view the business. Um, it is, a, did I have an intentional exit? It's even more shameful than that because, uh, David, I read the article that said uh, that businesses in my industry would sell for one to two times revenue. And so I went, fabulous, we're at three million. If I get it to five, I'm out of here because even if I'm at the one end, you know, the one times end of that revenue uh, calculation. That's a lot of runway, right? Well, guess what? One of the things the broker told me, revenue doesn't matter, right? I said, what do you mean revenue doesn't matter? I read this article two years ago. That's crazy. Um, you should remember the author's name. Maybe he would. <laughs> well, we can still find him, right? Hey, <laughs> here's the rule of thumb for this industry. Here's the graph. Well, uh, oh yeah. Uh, again, I, I I smile about it now because of how the path worked out. But I think about how it could have worked out, and how close I got to just shutting the doors. And uh, I thought I had done. I, you see, the thing is, is as a small business owner in a growing business, I have about fifteen minutes to give to every topic that lands on my desk, right? At least operating it the way I did until, as you alluded to, you take a step back and say, okay. Maybe I need to pause for a second and figure out where I really want to take this thing based on what I can educate myself uh, about the sale of a business, right? What is it? What does a sellable business actually look like? So yeah, I, I, I look back and I smile and uh, I, I, frankly, it serves me quite well when I sit down with other small business owners because uh, they, in most cases, very rarely have, have they been as foolish as I have been. So well, let's, let's wind this back to the original topic here. So yeah. if somebody's looking to buy a business, it isn't necessarily the gray hair that they should be looking for as a, as a marker of availability is, I guess, right? Because the ages are span, the sellers are spanning a huge age bracket. Um, some of these people who are the older baby boomers may... In one of my programs about selling businesses, I talk about the strategies and I say, you know what, if you have a business that, that is likely unsellable, then maybe instead of worrying about that, we should just have a wind up or a wind down strategy. Right. Wind up, meaning get out of business and liquidate. Wind down means a managed progressive decline in business into a semi-retirement kind of thing. And I think about a guy who lived down the street from my uncle when I was growing up, who at one time had 30 pieces of heavy equipment in his yard and was building foundations and ditches and roads for the you know, city and all that kind of stuff. And as he got older, the pieces just started to disappear and until eventually it was like right. a little ditch digging operation that he was very comfortable with and he felt comfortable leaving everything parked for six months when he went down south every winter, right? Yep. And to, to me, that's a wind down. And Absolutely. It's, it's a strategy for some people um, that is a perfectly logical one I think that to, to your point though, we have to be thinking about what we want and thinking about how the business is a vessel for delivering those things and then figuring out what is our plan given what we 
what we want to do. Absolutely. Because it's not just I'm missing out on that exit jackpot. To your point, if I, if I recognize that that sale might be difficult, if impossible, maybe I start renewing my lease for a year instead of five years each time, right? Now I, now I can start to minimize my exposure, not to mention the opportunities that I have to liquidate equipment. Or, um, but it, that all comes back to st- where you have to start with that, and that's asking the question, will I be able to sell my business? Mm. Um, great segue because you have a new online course that you're promoting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that before, uh, before we wrap it up? It was a great segue, David. The, the course is entitled, Will I Be Able to Sell My Small Business? Um, and it's specifically designed to help the small business owner, the truly small business owner, answer that critical question. We look to bring just very simple information, the basic critical elements that will determine if a small business owner can sell to the table. And so we're really excited. We, we are literally just launching it. Uh, the, the landing page went live today. So uh, will, I be able to small, uh, will I be able to sell my small business? If uh, you're a small business owner and you want to know the answer to that question, check it out. Um, the uh, landing page, exitoasis.com forward slash answer course. Or obviously you can go to the, uh, uh, the main homepage and, and it's there in the menu. So exitoasis.com. Exitoasis.com. Perfect. And, uh, and if anyone wants to check out my stuff on how to sell a business is how to sell my own business.com is the website that I have all that stuff put together. And with that, we'll say, see you later, Mike. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.